Hello and welcome to Sunday Messages with Fairmount Friends Church. We're so glad that you are joining us. You can find out more on www.fairmountfriendschurch.org. Here's Pastor Andrew Hailed. Well, good morning, everyone. We have chosen to cancel services here at Fairmount Friends for March 15th. As we make decisions into the future, we will be letting you know on a week-by-week basis. Uh, We want to make this decision based on not a lack of faith that God provides or that God is in control, but we want to make this decision knowing that He is faithful, and we want to be wise with our decisions as a church and as a group of following of Him. So we'll be sharing our message this morning via recording, and we will uh, have a continuation of this sermon series next Sunday. But for now, I want to kick us off with a good morning, church. I'm glad to be with you via the internet, the interwaves, Uh, but we want to be jumping in with a sermon series, as I said, that'll be this Sunday and the next, and it's called Water to Wilderness. And this message stems from a variety of places throughout Scripture, and we'll be looking at some of those places here this morning. But it also was primarily being pulled from a conversation that is had on the Unashamed podcast that's put on by the Robertson fellas, who were the Duck Dynasty TV show that was put out several years ago. Uh, These guys are fervent followers of Jesus and passionate about making him known, and one of the ways they do that is via a podcast. I encourage you to check that out. It's called Unashamed with Phil Robertson. And this message is also going to have some connections back to what Pastor Brock has discussed the last few Sundays, looking at Elohim, looking at the distinction of Yahweh Elohim, and also talking about how the Spirit hovers and the Spirit moves us as followers of Jesus. And so where I want us to start this morning is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, And so Mary, who is pregnant with Jesus at the time, is needing some time away. And so she goes to her cousin Elizabeth's house. And when Mary enters the house, Elizabeth is pregnant with John at the time. And John leaps in her womb as Jesus' presence is brought before him. And the significance of this is that John is the one who has been designated or set aside as the one to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so John, as he grows older, he is different than the other people around him. And as he becomes an adult, he goes off to live in the wilderness. And he's a, he's a wild guy. He's got crazy hair. He's wearing stuff you don't normally wear. He's kind of an outcast almost type. Like, who's that guy? And he, he, when he's out in the wilderness, he eats locusts and honey in order to survive. He is living out in the wilderness. And before he begins his ministry... Uh, well, I should say, when he begins his ministry, he, he goes back to the people and he is baptizing them. He's calling people out. He's saying, these religious leaders who you are following, these religious leaders who are supposed to pastor you and father you and point you back to God, they're not doing their job. You have a need for repentance. Come be baptized with water as a, as a sign of your repentance before the Lord. And people are are coming to him. And people are coming to him in droves. They are desiring this connection to God that they haven't had for a while. 
And then John, in the book of John, written by Jesus' disciple, John, is writing about what John the Baptist says when he describes what happens after Jesus is baptized and Jesus comes out of the water. So John the Baptist is speaking here when he says, I saw the Spirit of God come down as a dove. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water, the man on whom you see the Holy Spirit come down and remain, is he who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So as we said, John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. He lived out in the wild, in the desert. But I would suggest that as we look at this idea of water to wilderness, that the wilderness we're wanting to focus on is not the wild that we're imagining out in the woods or out in the desert amongst the animals, but the wilderness of when you start something, when you say yes to Jesus, you are going to be led into the wilderness of life by the Holy Spirit. So when John begins his ministry, he is leaving the wilderness to go into the wilderness of people, into the wilderness of preparing and paving the way for the Messiah to come after. And as you can imagine, the religious leaders of the time are not a fan of John. He is rather disliked. They're saying, who is this guy? He's a wild card. He came out of nowhere. He came from the wilderness. Why would you even trust what he has to say? He has no foundation to build upon, no background, no sort of education that we know of. How can we trust him? So as we continue to look at this idea of water to the wilderness, we're going to be spending our time in Matthew 3 and Matthew 4, as well as some places in Mark and Deuteronomy in the book of Hebrews. So we've talked about Jesus is baptized. Jesus comes to John the Baptist and he goes through this process. He, he presents himself before John and John baptizes him in the water and he brings him out and he has this vision of this dove landing on Jesus' shoulder. And he knows that because of what he's been told, the one that this happens to is the Messiah. And so if you combine what we're reading here in Matthew chapters 3 and 4 with Mark's account, what we, what we know happens is right after John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, God makes three statements about Jesus. He says, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And I want to pause here for just a moment and look at those three statements because I believe the same thing is uttered about us as followers of Jesus. Do we recognize and understand, do we repeat to ourselves that God looks at us and he says, you are my child, I love you, I find pleasure in you. Do we carry those ideas, those beliefs, those statements that God makes with us when we're in our tough times or in our awesome times and our excited times, but do we repeat those back to ourselves about who our identity is in when we approach tough, difficult, painful times, worrisome times, fearful times, as we seem to be living in right now? Do we go back to these statements of that God loves you, that you are his child, and that he finds pleasure in you? 
I encourage you to repeat those statements back to yourself over and over so that that's where your identity is coming from. And it's not in the fear, it's not in the worry, it's not in the tough situations or even the success of overcoming the tough situations, but that you are a child of God, that you are loved, and that he finds pleasure in you. And I would say in addition to that, can we recognize when we're in those tough situations, we can even just say, I've got the Holy Spirit of God in me. I have the authority of Jesus in me. I know who I am because of my Father. He doesn't change. I know who I am in Him. But uh, getting back to the passage here, it's significant to notice when you look at the Mark and Matthew passages of Scripture that it says right after the uh, baptism of Jesus, what happens? It says that once the Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness. And we have these chapter and verse divisions in our Bible, and sometimes it can seem like, oh, well, okay, this happens, and then mm, a little while later, okay, now, now Jesus is going out into the wilderness. No, Scripture tells us that it is immediate. At once, the Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness. And when he's in the wilderness, who is going to meet you there? It tells us in Scripture that he is led into the wilderness to be tempted. And so as you read through that temptation in Matthew chapter 4, here comes the evil one. The evil one begins to tempt Jesus. And he says in verse 3 of chapter 4 of Matthew, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And if you take that, that phrase or that sentence there and it says, if you're the son of God, if, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And I want to connect us back to what Pastor Brock has spoken on the last few Sundays of Genesis chapter 3 where the serpent, the evil one, is in the garden and he is tempting Adam and Eve. And you remember the first thing that he told Eve, what did he say? He said, did God really say dot 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 did God really say that and this is going down the same road of well if you're the son of God then tell these stones to become bread he was telling Eve did God really say that if you eat the first thing he wants you to do is to question we have a good God I declare that in my life I have a good God well, if he's good, wouldn't he do this, this, and this? Wouldn't he meet that need? Wouldn't he want you to have the best? Wouldn't he want you to have that which satisfies your desire? He wants us to doubt God's goodness. Because if God is good, wouldn't he give you that which satisfies your desire? And Jesus knows this, and so Jesus answers, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the reason I want to hang here with what Jesus' response is to the first temptation is that he's quoting scripture to the devil. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8. And so if you go and look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, it's basically talking about the exodus where Moses and the Israelites have the Red Sea moment. Where they are escaping the Egyptians, the Egyptians are coming after them. They're trapped at the edge of the Red Sea with the Egyptians coming. And God tells Moses what to do and he puts his staff down and the waters part and the people walk across and they get to the other side and the 
waves come back together. They've had this awesome, amazing God moments where they've witnessed a miracle that saved their lives. And remember, this is from the water to the wilderness. Something spectacular had just happened. They had this awesome moment, just like Jesus receiving God's spirit after he was baptized. That was an awesome moment. But then what happened? As we said with Jesus, the Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness. With the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter eight, where do they go? They go into the wilderness. It's the same concept. And the Deuteronomy 8 goes on to talk about why God sent them into the wilderness, that they would trust him, that they would depend on him, that they would recognize that he is the one that provides. They would recognize that he is the one who comes alongside, who protects, who they need to turn to in every moment of every day, no matter what it might be, whether it's a hunger desire or it's a pain needing healed desire. He wanted them to realize that true wealth, that true success come from him. So do we think about that in our own lives? Are we recognizing the need for dependence on God? We, or are we approach life with the idea that, yeah, we need to work, and that's good. We're called to do that. But do we take that and twist it and make it into something more where we have to establish our independence? Or do we recognize that everything we work for, yeah, maybe we've earned it with a wage. But are we recognizing that the only reason we're in that position to earn that wage is because what he has provided and that we have a dependence upon him. The blessings we have are only because he bestows them. Yeah, we can work for them and we ought to. That's another message. But can we recognize the need for dependence upon him? That's what Jesus does when he goes off into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. That's what the people of the Israelites with Moses had to learn, was that they have a need for dependence on him and that they did not be the ones to free them as they crossed the Red Sea. Picking back up in the next temptation for Jesus, He's in the desert, in the wilderness. And the devil took him to the holy city and they, to stand on the highest point of the temple. And this is number two. He says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. So here the devil is quoting scriptures back at Jesus. He's taking the same thing Jesus just did and he's throwing it back at him. And he's also attempting to build on what he has already said. He said, if you're the son of God, if you've got the doubt and the question. Now you build on that to say, if God is good, wouldn't he do this? So if God is good, wouldn't he protect you? Wouldn't he save you? He is taking God's own words and he's attempting to twist them out of context. If you go back to the Genesis 3 Passage. There's another parallel because first, as we said, he asked, did God really say? But then if you read in four, verse four, he says, you won't die. He's basically saying the same thing here to Jesus. He's saying, throw yourself down because you won't die. If you're the son of God, God will not allow this to happen. But look at Jesus' response here. He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
It's a passage we hear a lot. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. If I were to put words to that, I would say that Jesus is saying, don't try and change what's happening here. Don't try and twist this. I know who my God is. I know he's still good. Don't try and change the game. Don't try and adjust things just enough so my perspective shifts just a little bit. I know who my God is. And I know who I am in him. I'm not doing that. Last temptation here. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And all this I will give you if you bow down. Well, you might think, hold up, why is that a temptation for Jesus? He already has all of those. If he is the son of God, as we know and believe, if he is the son of God, does he not already have all of those things? He already has everything. So why is that a temptation? So as you think about that and stew on that and chew on that, what Satan was offering was that Jesus did not have to go through the pain. Look at what Jesus had to go through. The humility of being a human, of being trapped as a man, of going through pain, of putting up with other humans, of going through the process of life, of grief, of worry, of frustration, of annoyance. And then to die, a gruesome, painful, hard, terrifying death. So he's offering to Jesus, he's tempting Jesus by saying, okay, cool, yeah, you, you say you know who your God is and you say that he's good, but why would he make you do this? You could have everything without having to go through that. Why would you not? That's a no-brainer. It makes sense. Why would you not take this on? But Jesus knows what's happening. Jesus knows what's gonna go on. Jesus knows what's coming. He's fully aware, fully aware. And he knows that what the evil one offers is a temporary solution because that's all he ever offers. That's all he ever can put in front of us is a temporary solution. But that was the temptation. He could have everything without the pain. Drawing back to our Genesis chapter three comparison in verse five, the evil one is speaking. He says, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's, the temptation is the same. He's telling Eve, you can be your own God. That's what he's offering to Jesus. You could do this without him. You can be just like him. You can have everything right here, right now. All you have to do is bend one joint. Well, three joints. But he's telling Eve, you can be your own God. He was basically appealing to Jesus in the same way. He's saying, let's do this together. You don't have to go through the process. You don't have to go through the pain. You can have it now. Remember, this is the water to the wilderness. So if you fast forward to us, you fast forward to us today. Once we declare Jesus is Lord, what happens in your life? Maybe you've got a few cool days. Maybe you've got some wonderful feelings of excitement. Man, he saved me. I feel good. 
He's cleansed me. He has wiped my slate clean. I'm on this journey with Jesus. Let's go. But there's a reason that Peter writes in his book, 1 Peter, don't be surprised when insulted in the name of Christ. And why Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, put on the full armor of God. Because when you declare Jesus as Lord, when you receive God's spirit, and maybe you've got those on top of the mountain feelings, and we can really truly know that we're hearing, yeah, you are my child. You are my son. You are my daughter. And I love you. And I am pleased. I find pleasure with you. But what does he say next? He says, now you are headed to the wilderness. The Holy Spirit prompts us to go into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit prompts us to say that thing to that person that we don't even know. I'm not saying that. You want me to say what to them? No. You want me to do what? How does that make sense? Why would, why would I do that? The wilderness is coming. And if you haven't hit it yet, you will. I would imagine that all of us have and or are continuing to be in the wilderness. And the same reason that, it, that we're headed there is because of the same reason as described in Deuteronomy chapter 8, which the point is it doesn't really, really matter where you're at. The wilderness is coming. Just like for the Israelites, just like for Jesus, the temptation is there. So whatever your wilderness is, remember that Jesus was face to face with the devil He was in the wilderness. He was being prepared for his ministry that was to come. That was going to be another wilderness. Because all we have to do to join the crowd is to choose those temporary solutions. Yep, that makes sense. I'm doing that. That causes the least pain. Let's do it. Let's fix my problem. Let's solve my issue. Let's do it. There is a mighty throne that Satan sits upon that he directs things from, that he offers from. He offers those temporary solutions. If all we do is take him up on him, all we do is bow down. And it could be that that wilderness experience you're going through right now, maybe it's two days, maybe it's two weeks, maybe it's two years, maybe it's your lifetime. Maybe it's periodical where it comes and goes, it ebbs and flows with life. But know that the wilderness does come. If you choose Jesus, wilderness is coming. You're headed to it. The Holy Spirit prompts us. The Holy Spirit speaks to us, gives us little nudges in our head. And we can fight, we can struggle, we can push against, we can be like, God, what are you doing? No way, this doesn't make sense. I'm not doing that. But if we're in the midst of that fight with him, what's happening. We're fighting alongside him. We're fighting with him. We're pushing against God. I don't want to go there. No, maybe a little bit. But if we're in that fight, if we're in that struggle, do we recognize that we're continually coming to him and he keeps prompting, he keeps pulling, he keeps pushing, he keeps providing opportunity 
for us to step into and to speak into and to lean into and to love into. And while we're struggling, while we're fighting, what is his manner? What is his approach to us? And I would contend that his answer is, you're my child and I love you and I find pleasure in you. In Hebrews chapter three and four, it's a book in the New Testament and is a difficult one to really read and understand. It helps if you have some knowledge or background in the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures to give some meaning to the words that are being expressed. But it's an illustration of Moses leading the Israelites through wilderness. And he makes a connection of when they're in the wilderness, what's happening is his, they're getting a taste of what Jesus offers. That if we're dependent on him, the promised land is there. How do we get to the promised land? You gotta go through the wilderness. And since the promise of entering his rest still stands, do we know that to get to the promised land, till we get to the reward of heaven, to get to that point, we choose Jesus, we say yes to him, we receive God's spirit, and it's not just a stagnant spirit. It's moving, it's shaking, it's wanting us to be a part of it. It's that process that is painful. We could just say, eh, I'm good. You can. But how much more life is there? When we see God move, when we get to be a part of that, when we experience God moving, when we maybe finally say those words that we've been holding on to, and we see God work, and we see people respond, what do we desire when that happens? God, I want more of that. Or even if we're fully away from God, but we want him to move. God, what is going on? Why is this happening? God, why wouldn't you move in this? Why wouldn't you make this happen? Why wouldn't you fix this situation? What do we want out of him? We want more. God, I want more from you. God, I want more from you. But there's a distinction in our approach to him. And as followers of Jesus, can we recognize that we have access to him through prayer? We have access to him through his word. We have access to him through one another, through loving our other people through loving our church family, through loving our community. And love is active. But before they see our actions, they hear our words. Hebrews chapter four, verses one and two read, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because the people who heard it did not combine it with faith. Anybody can hear the gospel. Anybody can hear the good news. And maybe sometimes our perspective is, if you hear this good news, why wouldn't you respond to it? Why wouldn't you want that? Many times it's because we've been hurt, we've been dinged, we've been insulted, we've been attacked. But the message they heard was of no value to them because the people who heard it did not combine it with faith. So here's the point. 
to end our time together, is that when we hear the gospel, when we hear the good news, when we hear what Jesus did and we respond, we have that water moment. We are baptized in the Spirit. We have now received the Holy Spirit of God and we're on top of the mountain. We're feeling good. We are excited. He saved me. He cleansed me. Don't you want to hear about it? And we have to combine that recognition, that response with faith. And what is faith? Faith is us being sure of what we hope for. But what I would suggest is that the wilderness, the process of life, the wilderness of life, of moving from the water moment of responding to Jesus and then we receive the Holy Spirit and then we're prompted out into the wilderness of life. Well, the wilderness is the question, are you sure? Is this what you want? Is this who you're choosing? And that's why the temptations that Satan asks tend to be the same three ones. Did God really say, He didn't say that. This is what he said, twisting out of context. And then offering you something that seems like I've been working towards that my whole life. Yes. Do we recognize who is giving? And we're answering the question Are you sure with an emphatic yes, as Jesus did? Because he knew what Satan was up to, he knew that Satan is active, he knew he would meet him there. And he came in ready. He came in prepared, and he came in saying, I'm approaching this wilderness so that I can come out of it into the other wilderness of sharing my message with the people. And so that's what happened with Jesus. God says, this is my son. We're going to go save the world. And the Holy Spirit took him out there and to the evil one. And basically, if you want to sum up what happened is, are you sure? And I think for us as followers of Jesus, as his children, as people that he loves and people he finds pleasure in, we answer that question, are you sure, with an emphatic yes. Because we have hope and we have faith and we know who our good God is. That can't be taken away. That can't be stolen. That can't be removed. If we continue to fix our gaze on him, if we continue to posture our heart and our spirit before him to receive and to move. We have hope. We have hope. And as we have this water to wilderness transition, maybe you're in the midst of that change. Maybe you've been coming through that wilderness for the last 50, 60 years. Wherever you're at in that wilderness, keep going. Wherever you're at, continue to push after him. Continue to choose him. Continue to answer, are you sure, with a yes. Yes. Yes, Lord. Repeat to yourselves, I am a child of God. He loves me, and he finds pleasure in me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just recognize our need for you. We recognize our dependence upon you. May we put that at the forefront of our minds, that we are only where we're at because of your authorship 
in our lives. That we're only where we're at because we recognize who you are. May we continue to come back to you. May we continue to recognize just the need, the need, the need. We have hope in you. We have faith in you. And we know that you work for the good of all those who chase after you. God, you are good and we know who we are in you. We don't want to focus on us. We want to focus on you. We want to fix our gaze, posture our spirit, recognize that as we move from this water moment, this spiritual moment of turning to you and responding, God, that we are immediately led into the wilderness of life. And sometimes we are lost in the midst of that. And God, we cry out to you for direction. Sometimes we've taken those temporary solutions, those temptations, and we say, God, we want those to be removed. We want those to be cast aside so that we can come back to you and we can know that you are ready and waiting to move because that's who you are. Your character doesn't change. And God, we identify that today. We recognize who you are and we thank you for your son. We thank you for the wilderness and we thank you for the promised land to come. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're so glad that you were with us today. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or your preferred podcasting app. Be sure to rate us so other people can know about the podcast.